When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The future is bright for Ryan Blaney. The young star gets one of NASCAR's blue bloods back into victory lane while going toe-to-toe with a pair of the sports champions. NASCAR America goes all in on a win for all ages. We're getting ready to go back under the green flag. 13 laps to go. Blaney goes all the way onto the apron. Kyle Busch is going to crown him down there. She'll finally get by. Get your marks, drive away, bud. Can you imagine the pressure on young Ryan Blaney? Rear view mirror filled with the man they call the closer. 23-year-old Ryan Blaney will score his first career win. <laughs> Woo! I'm sorry you can't talk, bud, but I'm so proud of you today. Big day for Ryan Blaney. Hey, everybody. Welcome into NASCAR America. Carol Lomano, Kyle Petty, and Nate Ryan with you. Nate, kind enough to drive the two or so hours from Pocono to be with us. You haven't been here in a while. We're so happy to actually have you in flesh and blood. Good to be back. Thanks yeah. for having me. Now, DJ uh, is also with us, our Hall of Famer, but he couldn't make it in because he was probably partying with Ryan Blaney last night. Is oh. that true? Oh. <laughs> I'm way too old for that now. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't think so. But you know what? I wonder if Ryan Blaney has his feet up right now watching NASCAR America maybe hydrate after that party went deep into the morning yes. hours, but it was well-deserved. Uh, before the beer, he needed to get the win, so let's go back to Pocono and show you how he did it. The first of two visits for the Cup Series to Pocono this summer. They're going to be back just eight weeks from now. Kyle Busch on the pole. He and Joe Gibbs racing looking for their first one of the season, Nate. Yeah, unfortunately, this was deja, deja vu from Dover, Carolyn. Uh, Kyle Busch starts on the pole, looks strong at the outset, but... Five laps to go, DJ, in stage two, and this was just a terrifying crash for Jimmy Johnson and Jamie McMurray behind him. Yeah, I haven't ever found a good place to crash, but this is one of the worst. Over 200 miles per hour down to this corner, no brakes. Uh, Jimmy had a uh, looked like a right rear problem with the brake. Jamie McMurray, strangely enough, had the same issues going down into the corner, probably got into some of the debris, hits hard, has a lot of fire under the hood. Both drivers out safely, but you can tell just how much that did to them. Then a red flag. Very hot inside of these race cars on a hot day. Difficult. Yeah, Kyle, it would be Kyle Larson who would win stage two. Yeah, after the restart, Kyle Larson had track position, obviously had that clean air, and this is what clean air does for you at a place like Pocono. You're able to put the car where you want it. We mentioned Ryan Blaney. He restarted fourth with 13 laps left, Nate, quickly moving to second and challenging Kyle Busch for the lead. Yeah, some really aggressive blocking maneuvers here for Kyle Busch. A questionable decision not to pit might have led to some questionable maneuvers on the track here, DJ. Yeah, as a leader, you want to do everything to protect your position. Down the front straightaway was okay. I think uh, Brian Blaney gave him a break. This got a little excessive to me if I were Brian Blaney in that position, but he's just trying to be uh, as safe as he could in that situation, knowing he had better tires and a really good race car at that point in time. Did the correct thing, but uh, I don't think NASCAR needs to step in about the blocking. I think the drivers will handle that, but great battle here for the last couple of laps, KP. Yeah, a great battle. And, and here we have the young Ryan Blaney and the experienced Kevin Harvick. 
Uh, and every time he looks in the mirror, he sees the closer. He sees this guy coming. All he needed to do was hit his marks. You see him, he weaves to the inside, he weaves to the outside. He tries to break that draft, but you're not going to shake a guy like Kevin Harvick in the closing laps of a race. Thanks. Yeah, uh, and obviously here we're looking at Ryan Blaney just hitting all of his marks perfectly and being able to hold off Harvick, who was ready to pounce if there was a mistake. DJ, just such a special moment for this young driver. He was looking for his first career win, Harvick looking for his first win of the season, but it would be Blaney at the end and some love from some of his fellow competitors here. Yeah, very popular victory for this young driver. He did a great job at a very difficult racetrack, uh, holding off, passing one of the best, and then holding off one of the very best in victory lane here, putting that winner sticker on his race car, which is maybe the most significant uh, sticker you'll get on a car all year. So a thriller in the Pocono Mountains going to Ryan Blaney. He beats out Kevin Harvick, his first Cup Series victory. NASCAR's group of young stars had a pretty great Sunday. DJ rookie Eric Jones finished a career best third. Yeah, what an outstanding day for him. Did everything right. Just tried two tires there at the end, and that just wasn't quite enough. But he still held on for third, which is an outstanding day. See, Kyle Busch down there at night uh, led over 100 laps and uh, didn't get the victory once again. So Blaney's now set for the playoffs. He joins Ricky Stenhouse Jr. He joins Austin Dillon and Ryan Newman. Those guys all earned top 15 results on Sunday. As for Darrell Wallace Jr., though, Nate, he finished 26th in his very anticipated Cup Series debut. Yeah, you know, that wasn't where he wanted to finish, Carolyn. But when you consider that he had four speeding penalties and finished only one lap down, all, all things considered, it wasn't a, a terrible day in his debut. Yeah, we're going to have more uh, on his up-and-down day a little bit later on in the show. But coming out of Pocono, it's Martin Truex Jr., still your Cup Series points leader, but only by a single point point over Kyle Larson. Truex finishing sixth on Sunday. He rallied from the back due to an engine change. And as for the winner, Ryan Blaney, he is 12th in points, but he is bound for the postseason. And he spoke with our Parker Kligerman in victory lane. Ryan Blaney gets his first win at Pocono. And Ryan, all I can think about is that pass on Kyle Busch blocking you down the front straightaway. How did you get that done? You know, he did what he had to do. Um, he was on older tires and uh, we got ourselves to second there in position to, to capitalize, and uh, he got really tight off of turn four and lost a ton of momentum. And, um, you know, like you say, he did what he had to do and block us, and uh, we were able to get a run on him off of one. That seemed to be our strong point, and uh, then we had to hold Kevin off, and, and I can't remember how many races I've seen Kevin win in the last 10 or 15 laps of one, and I didn't want to be another one that he passed <laughs> late in the race, but, uh, you know, I, I can't say enough for this team. We overcame a lot of adversity from having a loose wheel and being back in the pack and, and then, you know, Bullen's getting us good position to, to restart towards the front and uh, just give us a shot at it, and that's, uh, that's all we need. And I've had Kevin Harvick breathing down my back before, and it forced me into a mistake. How do you stay focused? How do you focus up front and dr hold him off there in those last closing laps knowing you're going for your first cup win? Yeah, you just you try not to look in the mirror, uh, but it's hard not to. You know, you want to see if he beats you in this corner, if I pulled him, and uh, that was pretty tough, but... You just got to focus out front, and, and you know, spotters did do a great job at that, and, and crew chiefs as well. Try to calm you down and, and focus in you uh, to always look ahead and just do what you've been doing all day, and that's hit your marks. And um, just try not to give him a, a foot. You know, if he gets a foot of air, that's, that's kind of game over and how fast he was. But uh, they did a great job at, at, you know, reminding me to look out front. And you mentioned the radio issues you had. You weren't able to talk to the team but they were making adjustments on the car. You were tapping the door sill or tapping the top, trying to tell them it was loose. Is that on Jerry Bowens, knowing you, the relationship you two have together to be able to make the right changes that allowed you to get a car that could go out and win? Yeah, um, we kind of did old school of, you know, hand on the door, roof, and then, you know, thumb up, thumb down if I agree or disagree with something. And 
uh, it worked out for us, uh, whether it was adjustments or tape on the grill or, you know, staying out pitting. So um, that was able to work out, and, and he was able to see uh, what I was, you know, my hand motion. So that uh, was definitely not, you know, ideal, but I was saying maybe I should unplug my microphone more often and so I can't complain as much. Uh, that seemed to work out pretty good. And, uh, you know, winning this race, you joined two very well-known drivers that have driven this 21 car. That's David Pearson, Neil Bonnet. What does it mean to you? I know you're a big history buff of this sport to go out there and get this win for the Wood Brothers. Yeah, earlier this week uh, I was watching, uh, Dale and I were watching uh, the 1980 race when when Neil Bonnet won here. And uh, it was pretty neat. We were able to get back in victory lane when I watched that race. Um, so that's, uh, that's so special. And, and, you know, it's Wood Brothers' 99th win. That, uh, that's really, really cool to do that for them. We want to try to get 100 for them. But uh, pretty neat to join those two guys. I'll never amount up to what they are, but uh, it's cool to be in that group. Well, you got a lot of time because you're 23 years old and you're now a Cup Series winner and you're in the playoffs this year. What's the focus going forward? Uh, just do what we keep doing. Um, you know, focus on trying to win more races right up front and, and try to build your kind of playoff stock a little bit of, of gathering points and just to try to get you into further rounds. But it's nice to know that, you know, you're secured in, you're locked in, and uh, that kind of takes a little bit of pressure off because we had a rough month and a half, and I was like, yeah, I don't like to play, I don't like to pay attention to points too much, but I was like, man, we're going to have to win a race to run really well the second half of the season, and this does take a pressure off of, of that, and, uh, you know, like I said, you still got to go win races and, and try to help that playoff, uh, those points out, but um, it's nice to get that load off. Ryan Blaine's the third first-time winner in the Cup Series in 2017. Parker, thank you a lot there from Ryan Blaney, including the communication mishaps. We're going to have more on that coming up in the show uh, in addition to some other things as well. But he is the seventh Cup Series driver to get his first career win while driving for the Wood Brothers, the first being the team's patriarch, Glenwood, and also on that list are Kyle Petty and Dale Jarrett. DJ, how big was what happened on Sunday? Well, Carolyn, with all due respect to everything else that's transpired this year, Kirk Busch winning the Daytona 500, Austin Dillon getting his first win, Ricky Stenhouse, this, to me, is the story uh, of the year to this point in 2017. It's so big for the Wood Brothers who have been around the history. Uh, you saw the, the names there that those of us that were fortunate to drive for them and get a victory with them, uh, it, it carried us on to, to good careers. And I think it's going to do the same for Ryan Blaney. Uh, the other thing that strikes me with this win, you know, they've been putting themselves in position. One thing here or there kept them from being able to, to get to victory lane. But I think when you put yourself in that position that many times, things are going to happen. It's going to work out. But this is one of the most difficult places as a driver to be the leader. Now, you always want to be leading the race, late in the race. But having to do everything perfectly with Kevin Harvick breathing down your neck right there, one little mistake, and this wasn't going to be a Ryan Blaney win. And when you have three corners, you're downshifting in all of those corners. Here in, in Indianapolis are two of the most difficult places to lead the race and hit your marks and do everything right. But you, Ryan Blaney did that. And to me, again, this is the story. They're in the playoffs. The Wood Brothers are back in victory lane. And, you know, who knows, with a great racetrack coming up for that organization and for that driver next weekend, they could make it two in a row. But an outstanding job by everyone involved. Yeah, I, I think it was a great job by the entire team. Great calls to get him in the right place. I thought they drove a great race. I, I, I thought he drove a great race. And when you have to go up against Kyle Busch, and then you get him out of the way, and then there's Kevin Harvick. It's like, oh, my God, how many more bullets are, are, are going to come at me during the, during the course of this thing? But as Dale said, you've got to hit your marks at Indy and at Pocono. We have seen Ryan Blaney miss his marks at Indy in an Xfinity race. 
in front of Kyle Busch. You know he was looking in that mirror, checking that mirror. Missed his mark. Kyle Busch got a run on him. That was one that got away from him. He was not going to let that happen to Sonny. I doubt that he looked in the mirror much. He hit his marks perfect those last 8, 10, 12 laps, whatever it was, uh, and did a great job. And, and that's experience. He got beat one place, but he learned from that mistake and came back and won a cup race because of it. And even more recently, Kyle, we, we saw that at Kansas yes. uh, a few weeks ago where he had what appeared to be the faster car and couldn't outwit Martin Truex Jr. on the restart. And I think this time we saw him outwit two yes. champions in a way that he hadn't shown he'd be, the ability to do at Kansas. At Texas, it was more of a strategy thing, but he had the fastest car there as well. They always say it's a cliche in sports, but yeah. it's always true that you have to lose races before you can win them. And I think that that team and Ryan Blaney had lost enough races this year that when the moment arrived on Sunday at Pocono, he wasn't letting this one get away. Yeah, and I think when you watch a driver like Ryan and go through what Nate's talking about, what Dale has talked about, what, what we mentioned in Indian stuff, uh, you're watching a driver mature before your eyes and come into his own before your eyes. I always ask you, how do you quantify what makes a race car driver a good race car driver? And that's one of the things you always say, is that they learn from their experience and they get better and better. You're a man that's tasked with identifying what the story of the year is (laughs) as the year goes on. Where do you rank this win among everything else we've seen? I I think DJ's right. It's it's at the top, and it's not just because of the significance of this being a first-time winner. I think it's also because of the anticipation level of the fact that we've been talking about Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, Kyle Larson, Eric Jones. When one of those guys enters victory lane, it automatically becomes another level of newsworthiness because there's been just such a buildup to it, and it adds an authenticity to the storyline. And I think Ryan Blaney winning Sunday, it's a dream come true for NASCAR. Yeah, absolutely, DJ. Yeah, When you have a, a young driver that hears everybody talk about that they're ready to win. They're, they're the next uh, star coming up. When are they going to win? And you hear all of that. You believe it, and you want to believe it. But until it actually happens, you don't really know what it takes to make all of that happen. When you can do it at Pocono, once again, that is really a driver's racetrack, and you appreciate what it takes to get the job done there. There's no telling just how much this confidence level of Ryan Blaney is going to go up. Uh, they could you know, turn this into two, three, Four more wins. As I said, Michigan coming up, Daytona in a few weeks coming up, uh, where he almost won the Daytona 500. So a lot of good things on the horizon, I really believe, just because he knows now what that feeling is like. Yeah, and and we have been, you know, and Nate and and Dustin Long and all of us have talked about these young guys, these young guys, these young guys. This is a changing of the guard. We see Junior retire. We see Jeff retire. These guys are stepping out. Young guns, young guns. When are they going to win? I mean, and we asked Ryan on this show, what's it going to take to separate yourself? And he said, you've got to win races like Kyle Larson. He spoke to Kyle Larson, separating himself from that pack. I think we saw on Sunday Ryan Blaney separate himself from that pack of non-winning young drivers, guys with all the potential in the world but haven't capitalized on it yet, to a guy who took his first step to capitalizing on that first win and turned it into two and four and eight, and then championships down the road. And I think, Kyle, sometimes as much as maybe the media or fans get yeah. tired of, of hearing that narrative re- repeated, I think the driver gets tired oh, of it, yes. too. Definitely I think so. that Ryan Blaney and and now you know yeah. Chase Elliott probably is sick of hearing, when are you going to win? And w- when it finally happens, yeah. I think it really just it, – it, they don't always admit to it, but I think it really oh, takes yeah. a huge weight off of Ryan Blaney's shoulders. Something that just occurred to me is that you have Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick behind you 
blocking you, trying to prevent yeah. your victory. That would strike fear into any rookie. But then coupled with the fact that they themselves are searching for their own piece of this season, it's extra added pressure. And he just managed it beautifully. Um, a lot of drivers congratulating him. We saw that at the end of the race. Brad Keselowski kind of starting it off with a little bit of a tap there just to say, hey, man, uh, congratulations. And those two have a very special relationship. Blaney, of course, a protege of Brad Keselowski, who in turn was helped along in his early NASCAR career by Dale Earnhardt Jr. And Brad Keselowski on Sunday tweeted that he finally knew how Earnhardt felt when he won his first cup race back in 2009. And Jr.'s response was, it's a great feeling. Be proud. So it's nice to see how drivers who come before uh, help the young guys along the way and then congratulate them when it all finally comes together. In the meantime, Blaney's buddy making history as well on Sunday. Bubba Wallace wheels the 43 car. But what happened after the race that had Bubba fielding multiple questions? We'll give you that answer next. Yeah, we need Bubba in the Cup Series more. One start he makes, I win the damn race. <laughs> he needs to keep running. But uh, uh, that was cool to have him. I don't, I don't know where he finished. I know they had problems on pit road or something like that. But um, you know, I was behind him a little bit, and he seemed to be doing a really great job. But I know that was special for him. Brian Blaney's good friend Bubba Wallace making his cup debut Sunday. In the process, he became the first African-American to race in the series since Bill Lester in 2006. And it was certainly a learning experience for Wallace, who had to deal with three separate pit road speeding penalties. He did eventually finish a lap down in 26th place. Aside from that, 400 miles on a hot day, certainly a challenge in Sunday's race, apparently took a toll on Wallace physically. Shortly after climbing out of his car, he was in the middle of an interview when he passed out. Here's what he said about that incident after the race. I don't know enough, another form of passing out. I'm sorry? I don't know another form of passing out. There's only one way to pass out. I just kind of looked at my, I don't know what I was looking at. And then all of a sudden I was like, all right, let's go to victory lane. Let's go congratulate Ryan. So I'm all good. Did you, were you dehydrated or something? After no, I, was, I just, I've had, it's happened three times now where I'm very hard on myself and I get super pissed off at myself and I'll just, so mad, I just pass out. Okay. Competitive. Clarification. Yeah, I'm good. So Bubba Wallace says he's competitive, but he's all good physically. We are certainly not doctors. We're not here to speculate on why he may or may not have passed out. But it is interesting, Nate, that this has happened three separate times, and he credits anger as the reason why. Right. You were there. Your reaction to this? Well, you just heard it there, Caroline. There was a request for clarification that it wasn't dehydration. And I can tell you that he didn't spend a long time in the care center after it happened uh, this happened, obviously, to, to Jimmy Johnson after he won Texas early, earlier yeah. this year, and he was in the care center for about an hour before he, he came out to meet the media. Bubba Wallace couldn't have been in there for more than 10 or 15 minutes, and when he came back, as you can see during that interview, he, he appeared to have all of his faculties. He, he appeared to be normal. But it, it is odd to hear a driver say, I got so angry <laughs> three times I've, I've lost consciousness because of it. But that's uh, what his explanation is. Okay, so yeah. we'll just take the explanation at face value for what it is for now. Otherwise, a pretty typical debut, a little bit of trouble, some things to learn from. Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty typical, especially in that car. Let's go, let's go to Richard Petty Motorsports. That car is a 15th place car at best a lot of weeks. Uh, more in that 15 to 25 five range. And he ran and would have finished, I believe, right in that range. Uh, obviously, he had some pit road speeding issues. They don't run that digital dash in the, in the Xfinity series. This was something new to him. Uh, and he just kept backing it down, backing it down. But at the same time, he just kept speeding. And that was part of the program. But I think if you, you heard Blaney say he saw him on the racetrack, 
thought he did pretty good. What I saw of him on the racetrack yesterday, I thought he did a solid job. He did racing with guys, learning those guys, those guys learning him. That's all you can ask for a rookie. As a relief driver, and he is filling in for Eric Almarola. all you can ask is go out, do the best you can in that car, don't be a hero, don't crash and be a zero, do the best you can and, and come back with something. And I think he came back with a lot of experience, and I think the team learned a lot from him. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things to look at. So we'll, we'll look at something totally new to you on a pit road that's difficult for everybody anyway, uh, but I've never dealt with the digital dash, but it, it seems to be a little confusing to even uh, some of the veterans uh, uh, as they've struggled through that, especially early in the year. So that aside, uh, what we were able to see on the racetrack is, as Kyle said there, he did a solid job of doing his job. Uh, don't know about the communication and everything, how all that went. But we pointed out last week in talking to him and then talking uh, about him being in the race, what a difficult position it was to go to a racetrack that is so difficult. You know, it's not a road course, but you're shifting at every corner that you uh, attack there. And so that makes it even more difficult to learn what you're doing, how much brake to apply, and everything that we saw. So as we, on a day when we saw a lot of people having brake issues and other issues, you know, he was able to run on the racetrack the entire day. I'm sure it was great experience, and this weekend at Michigan uh, is going to be even better for him. And we've shown you how close he and Ryan Blaney are, Nate. So it was really nice to kind of see that story come full circle as well, even though they ended up in very different places at the end of the day. To have Bubba Wallace come over, you know, there's the two of them together congratulating each other on the track and then embracing each other when everything was said and done was a really special moment that kind of goes beyond results. Yeah, there was a little bit of, like, best friend symmetry here in Awake Hero, and that they were both driving such, you know, historic cars and, of course, a historic day for Bubba Wallace making his, his cup debut. You know, I asked him after the race, you know, all things considered, again, he finished this one lap down despite three speeding penalties, and I said, if you would have had a cleaner day, where do you think he would have finished? And he said, probably somewhere 15th to 20th. And as Kyle said, that's about where that car has run. So I think that, you know, all things considered, if, if he doesn't have those penalties, yeah. he, we might be talking about a guy who came in and really impressed uh, a lot of other car owners and, and drivers across the garage. That would have been a great result. Winning yeah. certainly not easy in your debut. The last cup driver to win in his debut was Johnny Rutherford back in 1963. So it's not something that happens every day. But in the meantime, we mentioned how good of a friends these two are. Ryan Blaney getting the Wood Brothers back into victory lane. Kyle and DJ know that organization well. Why do they think the Wood Brothers and Blaney have been able to make history? That's next. I was going to ask you about your father also. Have you spoken to anyone from your family yet? Has your father texted uh, you anything yet? Uh, my, I leave my phone in the bus uh, before intros. So he I texted me, so I'm sure he's texted him. Oh, he, te he texted you? <laughs> Probably texted you before me. Good job. Congrats. But, uh, about time. About time? <laughs> That's a typical Dave thing to say. Did he text you, I can't believe he didn't screw up and give the win away? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Blaney's father, Dave, raced parts of 17 different seasons in the Cup Series. He had 28 top tens. He never managed to reach victory lane, though. But Ryan's victory on Sunday made him the 29th driver to win in all three National Touring Series. And this last win certainly was not handed to him with a skilled veteran stalking closely behind, just waiting for one false move to pounce. Let's watch and listen to the final laps again. Two laps to go to wrap it up at Pocono as Ryan Blaney maintains a lead over Kevin Harvick. He goes down to the low side of the track. 
Harvick follows his tire tracks back to turn one. Can you imagine the pressure on young Ryan Blaney? Rear view mirror filled with the man they call the closer. But Blaney again, a perfect exit of turn one. The margin remains half a car length for Ryan Blaney. Blaney's been able to keep Harvick in the rear view mirror for now, but this battle is not over yet. Harvick is there again. The stubborn foe in Ryan Blaney's rearview mirror. He will not go away. Blaney across the tunnel turn with a one-car length lead. Gets a good run off the tunnel turn. Does Ryan Blaney still a car length and a half between himself and Kevin Harvick into turn number three. And again, both cars right to the bottom of the racetrack at this end of the speedway. No change at the point. Blaney slips just a bit but maintains the top spot. It's the credit one bank. White one to go. The white flag is flying here at Pocono. Separation one car length. Ryan Blaney over Kevin Harvick. Two cars literally glued together down the front stretch for the final time. Blaney drives it deep into turn number one. He opens it up by a car length now. Blaney by a car length. Harvick in second. Final time headed for the tunnel turn. Last trip off turn number one and up the long pond straight away. It's one car length between Ryan Blaney and Kevin Harvick. Does Harvick have anything left across the tunnel turn? It's still a car length. Ryan Blaney for the final time off turn two. Ryan Blaney with the race lead. Kevin Harvick gets a good run off of turn number two, but it's not enough into turn three. Ryan Blaney by a car length and a half over Kevin Harvick looking to bring the Wood Brothers to victory lane for the first time at Pocono in a long time. He has the lead coming off turn number three. He holds the lead to the line and 23-year-old Ryan Blaney will score his first career win here at Pocono Raceway today. The Wood Brothers making their 60th start here. Ryan Blaney making his third and he scores the win in the Pocono 400. Phenomenal call there by our friends at MRN. You know, 2017 has been a breakthrough year for Ryan Blaney. Besides winning at Pocono, the 23-year-old has already led more laps in 14 races this season than in his previous 54 starts combined. And really what makes his win more impressive is that he did it without any radio communication with his team. Here's what Ryan and team co-owner Eddie Wood had to say about that following the race. You have had other opportunities where you were out front or something, you know, came up. Did it help not having the communication back with the pits because I know of the of the radio issues where you yes. able <laughs> <laughs> did, did that put you kind Thanks, of in man. your in only your own head, so to speak, and did you drive any differently this time? Like this is not gonna happen again. I'm gonna win this race. <laughs> Thanks for that. I appreciate it. Uh, I was saying we should just unplug my microphone more so I'm not complaining as much throughout the race. But, uh, you know, that was a, no, one of the, just one of the problems that we had. We had a loose wheel early and, and had to come back down and after that. And, and we didn't have track position after that. And there was such little cautions here that you couldn't drive your way back up there unless you were just lights out better than anybody else. So that's where they did a great job of putting us in a spot to where we're, have a have a shot at it at the end, but you know, the old hand on the door for for was it tight hand on the door? Door's tight. Yeah. Door's tight. Roof, Roof was loose and thumb up, thumb down. If it was good or not, or key the mic because they could hear the mic key. They just couldn't a lot of hear Morse me. code. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, it might have. Yeah, I could say it maybe put you in your own head a little bit more if you're not, uh, you know, you're not talking as much. And uh, no, I would still key the radio and. and I actually forgot the radio was broken 
after the last pit stop, I was trying to talk, and I was. They were like, "Yeah, we can't. We still can't hear you." So I, <laughs> I completely forgot it was still <laughs> still broken. But uh, yeah, it's definitely something I've never had happen before. Um, although luckily I could hear them, and, and we were able to work something out. I mean, it was just like us going back to the to the old days with with no radios. Um, <clears throat> he asked you, you ask about uh, which it was. We used to have a piece of gray tape on the dash that would have roof loose, door push, and you, you know, that's what you went by, and uh, it just kind of took me back. And then right there at the end, the way he was trying to get away from Harvick and you know, drop it down to the inside like that, Neil Bonnet did that in 1980 here, and uh, went, on, went on to win the race. And this, I don't know, it's just, it just like I had flashbacks. It's really cool. Before we talk about days gone by, let's just start with the concept of losing radio communication <laughs> yeah. in itself. Okay, um, I thought it was really funny to hear Ryan Blaney say that he was basically talking to himself for yeah. a lot of the time because he forgot maybe that, that things weren't even working. But how, what is that like? How does this work? Well, like Eddie said, there used to be a piece of tape on the dash, you know, and you would stick your hand out the window and you would tap the roof as you came past the start finish line <laughs> or past pit road or tap on the door. And that sent the message to the crew chiefs. When I first started driving, we only had a couple of radios. The crew chief had a radio and there was a radio in the car. Uh, and you would just get lost out there. They would give you, we didn't have spotters, we didn't have any of that, and they would just give you lap times. And all of a sudden, you'd be riding along and you'd say, nobody's giving me a lap time. My radio must be busted. You'd look to pit road, and they would have a pit board that they would write on it with chalk and run out to the edge of the racetrack and say, check your radio, idiot. Uh, and you'd check it, here's a pit board right here. You know, and that's how you communicated with the driver, uh, to, to, to let the driver know what was going on. The roof loose and the door push was how the driver communicated to you. Uh, a lot of races were won that way, and there was a race won yesterday that way with that simple communication of just trying to signal to the crew chiefs and to the guys on pit road what was going on. Uh, but it's a difficult way to race in this day and time. Those were simpler times. DJ, how um, prepared are most young drivers for that sort of situation? Is this something <laughs> that is common or uncommon? Do all the young drivers have to learn the Morse code, so to speak, just in case we have to go a couple decades back here? Yeah, I think young drivers expect everything to work because they, that's the way that it is. You know, they'll take their iPhone to the Apple store and get it worked on right quick and it's good to go. So, yeah, I'm not sure how they handle these situations. But obviously, it, it, in this scenario, it was the best case scenario if a radio is not going to work. Uh, a lot of times, you know, if, if you can't, as a driver, uh, if you can't hear what the crew has to say to you, then you're in a world of trouble because, you know, you can't get with a pit board out anymore, uh, out to the, to the wall, and you're not looking at that. So the communication can be fine. If they can talk to you and a driver, you just respond with your hand signals and understand. They told him exactly what to do, and uh, he probably had to ask a couple of times exactly which one it was. I always remembered that you always push a door, so that's how I remembered that uh, if I didn't see the tape or didn't know exactly what was happening. So uh, they overcame a lot with this, uh, and, and that's what this race team has been able to do. And I think that's a lot. You know, we talk about Eddie and Lynn Wood, what a great job they've done to adjust into so many things and the changes. But how about Jeremy Bullens coming from the Xfinity Series at Penske Racing, working with a lot of different drivers, uh, Brad and Joey there, and then having the opportunity to, to work with uh, Ryan Blaney as he came along there and making this move to the Cup Series. I, I, you just can't talk enough about him. And in stressful situations like this, having keeping his young driver calm and, and making the right adjustments for him to go win this race. And, and Jeremy Bullens, DJ, was really the one who, who said to Ryan Blaney, hey, we're going to work this out. It's going to be fine. We're just going to do Morse code. He's an engineer, so I know he's got that technical mind. But what I love about this is, 
I mean, what better team for this to happen with than the Wood Brothers? Yeah. I mean, talk about like a throwback situation <laughs> for a throwback team. I almost feel like there's an idea germinating here for maybe Darlington weekend. Uh, you know, maybe maybe NASCAR wouldn't be so great with like nobody having radios. No, yeah. But like, if you wanted to go, cool, I would if love you to cool. see that. I would love to see that. If you wanted to go next level with throwback weekend, how about signboards yeah. for pit stops for everybody during yeah. uh, the, the Southern 500? Idea. I like it. It's a I like great that. Idea. I like that. Listen, radio or no radio, it was still an absolutely huge win for the Wood Brothers. There's no doubting that. Here's co-owner of the team, Eddie Wood, right after the race. Wood Brothers' first win since 2011 at Daytona, Trevor Bain. It hasn't come easy, though, but you have a great young driver, Ryan Blaney, who was able to make a pass on a champion and hold off another champion to get in victory lane. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it that way. They were champions. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, uh, you know, being able to beat uh, Harvick and and Kyle there at the end like that, that's, that's just amazing. And my hat's off to Blaney because he did such a great job. Jeremy called such a great race. Everything just felt like he wanted it to. Because when he got by Kyle, I thought, maybe this will be all right if caution didn't come out. You think about what you don't want to happen, and I didn't want to see a caution. Then all of a sudden, there's Harvick, and he's coming. He's coming, and then he got so close, and that's about, you know. So, um, you know, it's just amazing that um, they were in this spot. You know, we got so many people to thank. You know, Ford Motor Company, Motorcraft, Quick Lane, the Team Penske, you know, they, they, we have an alliance with them, and, and we wouldn't be standing here without uh, the help from all those people. When you look back at the history of this race team, how iconic it is, where does this win rank in significance for this race team, considering that you guys have had been in a building process the last couple of years, getting back to full-time, having a young driver like Ryan, where does this stack up in the history of the Wood Brothers? It's right up top right now. <laughs> you know, Trevor's win in 2011 came at a time we really needed to win a race. This one as well, especially with the playoff system they have now. We've had some tough luck the last few races, and, and it was getting to a point. And in fact, John had, had made the statement a week or two ago, we're going to have to win a race to get in. And that's what what that's what happened. And uh, Hey, simple enough, right? It's, uh, yeah, it's simple, but I tell you, it's tough to win these races. These guys are so tough week in, week out, and... You know, you win a race, you earn it, you know, these days and times. And you mentioned getting in the playoffs. With this win, what does it mean for the Wood Brothers to now be fighting for a championship again? I, I looked at some stats and saw that Ryan joins Neil Bonnet and David Pearson as winners for you guys at Pocono. There's so much history behind this race team, and now you're running for a championship again. It's really cool. You know, the probably the best we've ever finished in points. Uh, you know, we didn't run all the races our whole careers. And... Um, I think with Kyle and Morgan Shepard, we were in the top ten a, a n- number of times, and but we never were close enough to to say you, you know, we're going to win a championship. But now the way the 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 format is, anybody can win it, and you know, it's it's just a great feeling to be in there and get that little green sticker on you, on your car. That's that's the biggest thing. And when you look at the rest of the schedule coming up, where does this Wood Brothers 21 team get back in victory lane? What's your favorite track you're looking forward to going forward? I don't know. I like them all. <laughs> Easy enough to say in Victory Lane, right? Yeah, I, I'm not. You know, if somebody told uh, you know told me to guess where, you know, we were really going to have a good shot at winning a race, I would have said Kansas and Texas, which we got close there. Pocono, maybe, but you know, he's only been here. This is just his third time here, and uh, this is a tough place, and uh, a lot of things happen, and you know, things happen all day long that you just got to be aware of. And I mean, he just laid with it. You know, I'm just so proud of him, and. Uh, you know, he comes to such a great family, you know, Dave and his wife. They just, they just they brought him up right. He's a great kid. Well, it's a historic day at Pocono for the Wood Brothers.
Absolutely. Thank you, Parker. The Wood Brothers team was founded by Hall of Famer Glenn Wood back in 1950, and since then, they've compiled 99 victories from 19 different drivers. David Pearson, of course, leading the organization with 43 and 76. He captured what is the NASCAR version of the Triple Crown. But I had the same thought you did, Nate, when I was watching this unfold at the end with the lack of radio communication and the fact that it was with the Wood Brothers. And what occurred to me was that Ryan Blaney is one of those young stars who may be able to perfectly merge the the older generation of NASCAR with the newer generation of NASCAR. Those drivers who were I bet those fans who were looking at the 21, just the number yeah. and going, wow, the 21 yeah. coming across the finish line versus the new fans that were going, wow, look at Instagram. He's, you know, partying. <laughs> this is so great. Is that true, Kyle? Is he merging past and present? I, I think in a way, yes. I, I think in a way, yes. And, and, and I think the team is. I, I, I love... First, I love Eddie Wood. I love that interview. That's it. Any of them. Any of them. What's, you, what's big? This one was. Our last one. That, that I've we been just all of them. Any yeah, I've been uh, any of them. I'll, just, I'll take any of them. But what I love about the Wood Brothers is this, is we can take the, the, the traditional teams or, or the, the, the legacy teams, the Petty Enterprises, the Junior Johnsons, um, the Bud Moores, the Wood Brothers, the teams that built this sport in the 60s and in the 70s, and built that foundation. None of them are here. None of them are here anymore, except the Wood Brothers. Why are the Wood Brothers here? They've constantly changed. They've constantly evolved, and they've constantly kept themselves relevant. When I went to drive there in the early 80s, they ran a limited schedule, and they said, to stay relevant, we've got to run the complete schedule. They started running the complete schedule. Then at a certain point in time, they went back to running a limited schedule. Now they're back to running the full schedule. They partnered or had alliances with, with the Roush organization, they ran that for a while. They said, we need something different. Now they have an alliance, and we heard Eddie talk about it, to the Penske organization. I looked at the team that came out and celebrated, looked at some of the photos. Only a couple of guys there that I see in those photos were Wood Brothers employees that I remember from when I was there, from when Dale Jarrett was there and some of those guys. These guys are part of that alliance with Penske, part of that organization. There's Andretti over here on the left. But, but that was the only guy? That's, the, that's, <laughs> that's about the, the only, only one that I, that I really know that was there from that time. But I like that because Eddie and Lynn and the leadership that Eddie and Lynn show, they're not afraid to say, we need a change. We need to do this. We need to stay relevant. Again, Petty Enterprises didn't stay relevant. Bud Moore didn't stay relevant. Junior Johnson and those organizations didn't. Along came the Hendrick, along came Gibbs, along came Roush. And those guys are in the history books and a footnote in the history books. The Wood Brothers are in the history books because they continue to win races week in and week out. I look at Blaney, or I have a shot at winning them. I look at Blaney, his grandfather raced, his dad raced, his uncle raced. He grew up in a racing family. At the same time, he has that pedigree just as Junior does, uh, just as myself who came along in a racing family does. But he's embraced social media. He's embraced the now, Facebook, whatever you want to talk about, Instagram. He's embraced all this. So he's drawing these fans, showing them what his heritage is, and introducing him to who the Wood Brothers are. Right. So it is an amazing bridge that, that Ryan Blaney has built and an amazing job that Lynn and Eddie Wood has done to, to keep their team relevant and keep their team in front of everybody. And to Carolyn's point about that, uh, Kyle, about the driver, there's not many drivers who are going to name check Daisy Ridley yeah. from Star Wars yes. and also talk about the old school nature of using Morse code yes. to tell your team if you're, if you're tight or loose. So I, I think that, again, is where Ryan Blaney really bridges that gap in that way, Carolyn, that 
He, he obviously is authentic as a third-generation racer, not just Dave Blaney. His, his grandfather, Lou Blaney, also raced, uh, a, a, a renowned racer of, of some regard. And there's no question he is a great fit for that team that they appreciate, as Eddie was yeah. saying there in that interview with Parker, the way he was raised. He obviously is gracious. He obviously has respect. But I'm telling you, NASCAR loves the fact that he is so savvy socially and has this love of Star Wars. He, he almost has like this nerd quality that <laughs> I think is, is really appealing to millennials. And the other thing NASCAR will tell you is if you talk about younger drivers in the sport who are out there preaching the gospel, Ryan Blaney is always the first one to raise his hand. Uh, he, he started a podcast this year. That was at the urging of NASCAR. That, that was because NASCAR was looking for a younger driver to do a podcast. Ryan Blaney raised his hand and said, I'll do it. It, it wasn't something he really was familiar with yeah. before he started with. But that is a credit to who he is, I think, as a person and what we heard Eddie Wood say there. He's, he's respectful of where the sport has come from, but he also knows where it's going. And I think he thinks he's going to be a part of a leader of that. Yeah, and I, I want to, before we go to Dale, I want to be real clear here about one thing. When Eddie said he was raised right, he's a good kid. When you go to drive for the Wood Brothers, you become part of the family. You don't, you're not just an employee. You don't just work for Eddie and Lynn or work for Glenn and Bernice or, or Kim, their sister who runs everything. So let's give her some credit here, too. <laughs> you don't just work for them. You become a part of the family. And I think that's what Eddie's saying when he said he was raised right. He fits in with the Wood Brothers, and that's important. DJ? Yeah, yeah, there's so many things there. And when you talk about Ryan Blaney, what Nate was pointing out there, so much that he brings, especially as a young driver. Now, you can do all of those things, and that's well and good. That gets you a lot of attention. But if you top that with having a tremendous amount of talent, a great desire and determination to win, then you put all of that together, makes for a, a great future for our sport and for Ryan Blaney. Now, back to the Wood Brothers, as Kyle's pointed out, and, and great things they said there. But, you know, this is a, an organization, a family, uh, if you will, that I owe a lot to. But they're more than that. They've been around the entire time of this sport under one banner, and that's Ford Motor Company. They've stuck through everything with Ford Motor Company and done everything that they possibly could for them and with them. And even though they're there, uh, their, their race cars are in the Penske shops and everything now, they're still there at, at, with that name out there, and Eddie and Lynn are there on a daily basis running everything, making the changes that need to be made to keep up with what's happening in 2017. You know, they also bring in uh, Eddie and Lynn's kids, uh, Jordan and John and Kevin, and they have a big part and say so as to what's happening uh, on the social media side, changes that need to be made, and keeping their name out front. So it truly is a family organization. You think back to everything that Glenn and Leonard did to, to bring this team and organization and family-run organization uh, to the top of this sport, and here they are back in Victory Lane once again. Just a great, great story, and again, many of us owe our careers to them. Yeah, everything just complements each other yes. perfectly. You just can't make it up. It's yeah. all fallen into place. But, DJ, you mentioned how much you owe to this family, and Kyle, you as well, because you both coincidentally got your first <laughs> wins with the Wood Brothers who just found themselves in victory lane. Kyle, what do you remember about your first win? So this, this is 86, Richmond? Here's what I remember. We were running fifth. Uh, there was a pool that we had up in the garage area. We were going to win a bunch of money because we run, were running fifth, and everybody wrecked on the last four or five laps, and I ended up winning the race. Uh, and and that, that's what I remember. More than, but, but what I do remember was is, is how excited I was to be a part of that organization and working with Leonard, uh, Leonard Wood, who was the crew chief at the time, but working with Lynn and Eddie and that whole group. I went from a family team being Petty Enterprises to another family team and was just as welcome, even though those guys 
with Pearson and the Wood Brothers and Petty Enterprises and Richard Petty. This is the way it was week in and week out. But you would never know it when I walked through the, through the door up there. That's what I remember most. DJ, what do you remember? You know, as, as a kid growing up around like Kyle, around the sport, and seeing that 21 car, all the great drivers there, for me to have the opportunity just when it came along to get in this uh, car sponsored by Sitco at that time, this was Michigan. And to beat Davey Allison there on that day, we raced the last couple of laps side by side. Uh, just an incredible feeling to, to go to Victory Lane and be there with Leonard and Glenn and, and Eddie and Lynn and everybody involved uh, was just tremendous thrill. One of the, the highlights of my career, certainly. It looks like we're going to have to get Ryan Blaney a mustache. <laughs> yes, we do. He needs one. Yes, yeah, amazing he got to go in without one. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> well, listen, Nate, we don't want to leave you out of this conversation. So your first big win Tell us about this. This was your first byline. <laughs> I can't believe we found this, first of all. And, and I'm just I'm, I'm grateful for being on the show. I thought, like, not having a cup start would be disqualifying for this area, and especially not a win for the Wood Brothers. But, yes, this was uh, the first story I wrote for the San Bernardino County Sun as an intern, oh, roughly 24 years ago or so. To Writing about myself. the Cleveland Browns out, I was writing about Vinny Testaverde replacing Testaverde. Bernie Kosar and leading the Browns yeah. to win. Uh, the league needed some work, but the, the reporting was okay. Just a small side note. As we went to break, we asked uh, Nate, what's your biggest memory? Oh, it was XYZ 1993, whatever, whatever, whatever. whatever. You, had that. you had that right at the ready. No, it's good to see all the success that all of you guys have had. You're so talented, and that's why we have you here. Uh, Ryan Blaney holding off a champion to win. We are going to hear from Kevin Harvick on his car, Eric Jones on his career best finish, and Chase Elliott among others as we go through the field that's next welcome back everybody on friday the northeast motorsports museum had its ceremonial opening in Loudoun, new hampshire and a lot of new england's racing legends attended the event that included former cup series star ricky craven and also longtime journalist dick berger in the museum officially opening to the public today so if you live close by you should go check it out it was a big racing weekend in the northeast as first time winner ryan blaney was the star of the show at pocono but sunday was memorable for several other contenders let's hear from them now as we go through the field you know I, the guys did a great job um really proud of the engine shop i don't know how the engine didn't blow up with a third to second shift um so obviously the durability is is good enough in the engines uh, to do that but these young guys winning is important for our sport, obviously, you know, as, as our team, we, we want to win, but um, these young guys have to have to get in, into victory lane to get these fans that, that don't like me and Kyle and, and the rest of the guys, um, you know, that fan base that's that's available and, and new. Um, the younger crowd has to has to win, and, and today um, Ryan was was able to do that. So not only is it good for him, but it's good for the whole sport. You know, I never really got to Kyle the 18. I thought we we could race around the four and the 42. Um, and some of those other guys that were up front all day. So I was really, I was pleased with how our car drove all day long. I, I didn't really ask for any adjustments much. I thought it was pretty close. We just kind of needed things to go our way. And, um, you know, the way the cautions fell and the way the guys played their strategy was really smart there. And uh, we just um, got a little, little too far behind. Doing all I could to hang on. You know, the, the four car had four tires. Knew he was probably going to get up there. Was hoping I could sneak around the 21 and the 18 while they were battling, but uh, just wasn't close enough to do it. So... You know, it was uh, good to see Ryan win. That's really cool for him, really cool for the young guys. But a uh, great day for us, a great game stop, Camry. And, you know, just one that was I wasn't too sure about when I got here. I think uh, the driver needed some adjustment to this place and these cars and kind of felt like as the weekend went on, I got more comfortable. We got the car better. Um, and, you know, that top five finish was uh, definitely feels good to get. Big day for Eric Jones coming home third for his first ever top five in a cup race. 
Coming up, though, a bit of a tougher day for Dale Jr. in a rough farewell season continuing Sunday at Pocono. What did he say after falling victim to a mechanical failure? We'll find out then. Make sure you are there as another chapter in the Earnhardt legacy comes to a close. Dale Jr. taking to the track at historic Daytona International Speedway one last time. It is Saturday, July 1st, only on NBC. And so far, Earnhardt's final season hasn't really been what he and his legions of fans hoped it would be. The turnaround didn't come Sunday at Pocono as more bad luck found the 88 car. Started from the back due to an engine change, and Earnhardt managed to climb the 17th by the end of stage one, but his march to the front was cut short on lap 58 when shifter problems sent him to the garage. It was his fourth DNF of the season. Earnhardt explaining the issues further after the race. In the car headed back to the airport because I blew the motor up again, second time this weekend. I keep trying to go from four, uh, third to fourth and I go to second. Um, I don't know why. I can't explain. I wish I had an answer as to why that uh, that keeps happening. I'm really worried because we got to obviously come back to Pocono, but we also have to go to road courses and shift quite a bit more than we do even at Pocono. So pretty concerned about all that. One thing about Dale Earnhardt Jr., he is always honest. Yes. What you see is what you get. And that right there was a painfully honest assessment yeah. of some of the things that he's dealing with and some of the things that he's concerned about moving forward as it relates to his personal performance. Let's talk a little bit more about what he has done, uh, at least at Pocono. I'll get it for you. Thanks. So he started 28th. <laughs> he finished 38th. His average running position, 31.6. There, there's really nothing to be said here. I mean, he said it all. Uh, first lap on the racetrack. He miss, misses a shift, goes from fourth to second, uh, or third to second, whatever, uh, and, and breaks a motor. In the race, he does the same thing and breaks an engine. And, and he is concerned. There are places that he's concerned about going to the, to the road courses and stuff. There's two or three more times this year that we have to go race tra to racetracks where shifting is involved. These guys have just not got back on track this year. They've just not picked up where Dale Jr. wanted 2017 to be. DJ, if you listen to the sound in the race when he was being interviewed, just kind of in the immediate aftermath of that, he did take responsibility and said, you know, I've been doing this basically my whole life, but I'm having trouble figuring out what the problem is. Yeah, yeah, you can't really blame that on somebody else or anything else. And, uh, you know, as a driver, you just have to, uh, to understand that maybe things aren't exactly where they're most comfortable for you, but if you're having that issue, and Kevin Harvick had it later on, but you just have to put your hand to the inside of the shifter. I, I've done it before, too. I did it at Kansas on a restart. But I learned that I had to kind of put my hand to the inside of the shifter to make sure that I was going to that outside and get it in fourth instead of second. Unfortunate for them, they'll have to bounce back here this weekend. You would think that it would make sense for somebody like me to understand what it would mean to miss a shift. Like, oh, I, I think I know what that's like. But it's, I, I really don't. <laughs> I really don't know what that's like. Let's it's like talk, missing the train yeah, back to the city. It's like missing this touch screen. <laughs> Yeah, all right, let's talk about another driver. Uh, DJ, we'll start with you on this one. So Chase Elliott, a better day. He started 25th. He finished all the way up in eighth place, and he had an average running position of 9.4. 
Yeah, it's really a solid day. I, I think that he actually ran better than what he finished. And, and there's not many times that we've said that uh, about Chase. Uh, he was very solid all day. We heard his interview, and he said he really liked his race car, didn't call for many changes. I think the one thing that I saw is I believe they had a green flag pit stop that, that went about 15 seconds, and that <laughs> lost him quite a bit of time and track position. So he did a good job, didn't miss any shifts. And, Carolyn, if you don't know what that sounds like, it's the worst sound as a race driver that you ever hear. I can only imagine. Yeah. It, it is. It's. It makes your heart sink. It's really not similar say. to me learning yeah. how to drive a stick when I was like 15 and yeah. hearing that terrible sound. It's a little bit worse. <laughs> a little when bit speeds worse are higher. That. All right. Um, should I hit the last one for you? You're holding well. a Let pointer. Me, I just okay. threw it away. I just threw it <laughs> away. There it is. It's gone. It. I'll do all the work. Uh, Kyle Busch uh, is who we're talking about next. Started first, of course, finished in ninth. But look at this right here. 2.3 average running position. That, my friend, is domination. Okay. And we have seen Kyle Busch dominate so many times. But recently, we're seeing him dominate and come up short. Uh, and we've seen the frustration. We saw the frustration in Charlotte. We've seen the frustration numerous times. And I think we've seen him win so much by leading half the race or two-thirds of the race that we expect him to be there at the end. This time, they chose to stay out at the end of the race. They had older tires. Uh, they were basically a setting duck. It was a pit call that put him in that position. Uh, but when you run like this, you're going to win a lot of races. Uh, not just one or two. You're going to win a lot of races. This is why he has contended for championships the last two or three years, his performances like this. Yeah, Joe Gibbs Racing still searching, but you would think that maybe with the 18, it's right around the corner. All right, when we come back, uh, several drivers had their day in and crashes thanks to brake failure, among them the defending Cup Series champion. We're going to go further into Sunday's brake woes. That's coming up next. Welcome back, everybody. On Sunday, Jimmy Johnson lost his brakes with five laps to go in stage two and slammed hard into the turn one wall. Right behind him was Jamie McMurray, who also suffered a brake failure before hitting the wall and having his car catch on fire. Thankfully, both drivers climbed from their cars uninjured, but Nate, it was a very scary scene. Uh, this morning, Johnson was in good spirits. He tweeted, I'm sitting here in total amazement, not even a bruise from yesterday's crash. I'm confident Ryan Blaney will feel like he wrecked at 200 <laughs> miles per hour, though. That, of course, a fun nod to uh, some of the early morning partying that was going on, right. and well-deservedly so with Ryan Blaney. But back to this particular crash, to see the speed of impact. I was watching it. You were there. What can you tell us about your firsthand account of, of what you saw and also speaking with Jimmy Johnson after? Well, well, I think, Carolyn, when we saw the crash and we saw the way Jimmy got out and just had to compose himself by sitting down on the track and, and putting his, his hands on his knees, I think we all thought he was shaken physically. And outside the care center when, when he was doing his interviews with us, we, he, he was absolutely himself. You know, he said he didn't, didn't have an ache, a bruise, any sort of injury. And he really was just shook mentally. Uh, he said that I asked him, you know, I'm sure that crash must have seemed like it. it was four to five seconds from the time he lost control to hit the wall. But it must have seemed like, and he said, four to five minutes. I mean, he saw a lot of things, I think, flash before his eyes in the time he lost control to the time he hit the wall. And, you know, again, a testament to the safety of these cars that he is able to get out and make light of it on Twitter the next day. And uh, thankfully, 
you know, be no worse for the wear. Yeah, and hopefully he'll be okay in the continuing days to come. Brakes were an issue not just for Jimmy Johnson and Jamie McMurray, for a handful of drivers, five-plus. That included Joey Logano, and his crew chief, Todd Gordon, actually addressed the topic today. What did he shed light on in terms of this issue? Right. Well, he was uh, doing his weekly interview on the morning drive on Sirius XM NASCAR radio, uh, Carolyn. And, and basically what Todd Gordon said is that a lot of the teams are having these, these problems right now, and it is due to the low downforce package, which as we know, has reduced the size of the spoiler. And what that's done is it's cut down on drag. Now, when you, when you take your foot off the gas, it used to be you would, you would be inherently slowed down a little bit by the spoiler because there'd be drag there. Now, instead of the spoiler being you know five or six inches, whatever it used to be, now that it's two inches, there's, there's nothing that's really slowing the car down inherently as soon as the driver lifts off the gas. So when you're going into turn one at Pocono with this very heavy race car at 200 miles an hour, you're reliant solely on the brakes and the drivetrain shifting in order to slow the car, car down. And what teams are finding is there is a literal risk versus reward to weigh here because, as Kevin Harvick said, a lot of them are using lighter brakes to go for speed. And whereas in the past, Pocono might not have been a really important place for brakes, it is important when you're putting that much heat into them because you're, you're trying to sacrifice weight for speed. And so I think that the next trip back to Pocono, I think you'll see teams maybe go with a more conservative brake package and look at maybe adding a little bit more weight in order to keep their drivers safe and secure rather than risk having their brakes melt down. Okay, good. That's a good thing to look for. Overheated brakes, of course, a big topic, but also a confrontation between fans and Danica Patrick on Friday was making some headlines as well. Nate's going to have more tomorrow on the turbulent season that Danica has had. In the meantime, though, NASCAR, not the only series racing this weekend. When we come back, we're going to recap IndyCar's wild night at Texas and in F1, Daniel Ricciardo's podium celebration as a new fan. Stay tuned for more on that. Welcome back, everybody. On Sunday, Jimmy Johnson lost his brakes with five laps to go in stage two and slammed hard into the turn one wall. Right behind him was Jamie McMurray, who also suffered a brake failure before hitting the wall and having his car catch on fire. Thankfully, both drivers climbed from their cars uninjured, but Nate, it was a very scary scene. Uh, this morning, Johnson was in good spirits. He tweeted, I'm sitting here in total amazement, not even a bruise from yesterday's crash. I'm confident Ryan Blaney will feel like he wrecked at 200 miles per hour, though. That, of course, a fun nod to uh, some of the early morning partying that was going on, right. uh, well-deservedly so with Ryan Blaney. But back to this particular crash, to see the speed of impact. I was watching it. You were there. What can you tell us about your firsthand account of, of what you saw and also speaking with Jimmy Johnson after? Well, well, I think, Carolyn, when we saw the crash and we saw the way Jimmy got out and just had to compose himself by sitting down on the track and, and putting his, his hands on his knees, I think we all thought he was shaken physically. And outside the care center when, when he was doing his interviews with us, we, he, he was absolutely himself. You know, he said he didn't, didn't have an ache, a bruise, any sort of injury. And he really was just shook mentally. Uh, he said that I asked him, you know, I'm sure that crash must have seemed like it was four to five seconds from the time you lost control to hit the wall. But it must have seemed like, and he said, four to five minutes. I mean, he saw a lot of things, I think, flash before his eyes in the time he lost control to the time he hit the wall. And, you know, again, a testament to the safety of these cars that he is able to get out and make light of it on Twitter the next day and 
thankfully, you know, be no worse for the wear. Yeah, and hopefully he'll be okay in the continuing days to come. Brakes were an issue not just for Jimmy Johnson and Jamie McMurray, for a handful of drivers, five-plus. That included Joey Logano, and his crew chief, Todd Gordon, actually addressed the topic today. What did he shed light on in terms of this issue? Right. Well, he was uh, doing his weekly interview on the morning drive on Sirius XM NASCAR radio, uh, Carolyn. And, and basically what Todd Gordon said is that a lot of the teams are having these, these problems right now, and it is due to the low downforce package, which as we know, has reduced the size of the spoiler. And what that's done is it's cut down on drag. Now, when you, when you take your foot off the gas, it used to be you would, you would be inherently slowed down a little bit by the spoiler because there'd be drag there. Now, instead of the spoiler being you know, five or six inches, whatever it used to be, now that it's two inches, there's, there's nothing that's really slowing the car down inherently as soon as a driver lifts off the gas. So when you're going into turn one at Pocono with this very heavy race car at 200 miles an hour, you're reliant solely on the brakes and the drivetrain shifting in order to slow the car, car down. And what teams are finding is there is a literal risk versus reward to weigh here because, as Kevin Harvick said, a lot of them are using lighter brakes to go for speed. And whereas in the past, Pocono might not have been a really important place for brakes, it is important when you're putting that much heat into them because you're, you're trying to sacrifice weight for speed. And so I think that the next trip back to Pocono, I think you'll see teams maybe go with a more conservative brake package and look at maybe adding a little bit more weight in order to keep their drivers safe and secure rather than risk having their brakes melt down. Okay, good. That's a good thing to look for. Overheated brakes, of course, a big topic, but also a confrontation between fans and Danica Patrick on Friday was making some headlines as well. Nate's going to have more tomorrow on the turbulent season that Danica has had. In the meantime, though, NASCAR, not the only series racing this weekend. When we come back, we're going to recap IndyCar's wild night at Texas and in F1, Daniel Ricciardo's podium celebration as a new fan. Stay tuned for more on that. Welcome back, everyone. The Verizon IndyCar series is on NBCSN. IndyCar goes into the Wisconsin woods for the Kohler Grand Prix at Road America. That's Sunday, June 25th on NBCSN right here. And for this past weekend, here's Kevin Lee with a recap. It was a full moon Saturday night at Texas Motor Speedway, and it was a wild one in IndyCar with Alexander Rossi, a battle of attrition, and he was the first to go around hard into the wall. Another former 500 winner, three-time winner, Elio Castroneves, all involved, got out and walked away. The big one was right here, eight involved, starting with James Hinchcliffe, Tony Kanaan coming together, Mikhail Lotion also involved, and by the end, we were down to 10 cars racing, and it was side-by-side side often, and two go around with Takuma Sato into the grass, coming up, collecting Scott Dixon, and Will Power survives at Texas Motor Speedway for his 31st career win. Next weekend is off, then it's to Road America for IndyCar. Another big wreck at Texas in Friday's Truck Series race. Look at this, two laps to go, trouble off turn four, and it ends with Timothy Peters Flipping through the infield grass. Here's another look at it. Peters ultimately ended up walking away from the crash. The win went to Christopher Bell, but glad to see that he is okay. So Formula One also busy this weekend in Montreal. Lewis Hamilton won the Canadian Grand Prix, but third-place finisher Daniel Ricciardo and actor Sir Patrick Stewart still in the show a little bit on this one. So here's Ricciardo's custom for every podium finish. He drinks the champagne from his racing shoe. Now look at this move. With a hearty cheers, cheers. <laughs> Sir Patrick. 
hundred the same Perfect. with the other shoe. I don't know if you know him as, however you know him, from Star Trek, yes. Next Generation, or from X-Men, or wherever, but that is a baller move by He's Sir Patrick. boldly going where no man has gone. <laughs> gone before it. True <laughs> to that. True yes. to that. Good Nate, line. Nate for the win. DJ, <laughs> I know, I know you must have something like this in your repertoire. You came up with Kissing the Bricks. <laughs> Give us something. Yeah, there might have been something, right? Maybe the same year as Kissing the Bricks, uh, 1996 Christmas party at Robert and Carolyn Yates, our car owner's house. And uh, I think it might have been well after midnight. And one of our engine uh, tuners, his wife had on a great pair of green heels. And uh, <laughs> we checked with her before anything happened to make sure she had showered before she came. And she did. Uh, but we did not get the information that these shoes were dyed green. So as we poured the champagne in and some green running down our chins, then we or we figured out that it might not have been the best idea. I don't know who thought it was a good idea to start with, but it was great fun at the time. That's why I love DJ Kyle, because he's very into the details. Yes, that Beautiful was. pair of green shoes. Yeah, nice green pumps. That would have been like St. Patrick's Day. What's the worst thing you've ever drank out of? I'm not going to say. Okay. <laughs> not on air. Not on air. That's fine. I'm not getting me in this one. <laughs> I'm not trying to. I am not trying to. We're going to leave it at that. Uh, plenty of celebratory cocktails last night, though, in honor of Ryan Blaney. Check out these pictures. That's so much fun. Blaney's team and competitors giving it up for the young star. So why was everybody happy for him? That's still to come on NASCAR America. Welcome back, everybody. Last month, the 23rd annual Kyle Petty Charity Ride touring the Pacific Northwest. That included a couple of days in South Dakota, did it not? Yes, it did. That's the Badlands right there with, uh, with great state park that we went through. Uh, we had a good time in South Dakota. That's Cornelius. Uh, my dad and I had our picture taken. And that's the Corn Palace in Mitchell, South Dakota. If you get to Mitchell, South Dakota, go to the Corn Palace. Great place. You get corn there? No, no, it's, it's like a concert venue. It's it's crazy. Oh, yeah, oh. like all the greats have played there. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, I'll keep it great. in mind. Please. That's where we're headed for today's stop. Let's go. On a final track, let's go. Uh, the Cup Series made its lone appearance in South Dakota back in July of 1953 in Rapid City. That was Herb Thomas who drove the fabulous Hudson Hornet to Victory Lane. Also marked the first meeting between Lee Petty and Johnny Beauchamp. Six years later, the two engaging in a classic finish in the inaugural. Daytona 500, but today's featured track is Casino Speedway. That is located in the city of Watertown. That's 112 miles north of South Dakota's largest city, which you may know, Sioux Falls. This quarter-mile dirt track has been in business since 1953, and it got its name because a casino ballroom used to be located next to it. Some of the notable drivers who have raced here include Ken Schrader and Kenny Wallace. And for the past two years, the track has been promoted by the husband and wife team of Todd and Vicki Good. There they are. Todd, a local sprint car racer, he took Vicki on their first date to the track. I love that story, Kyle. And the romance continuing with their daughter, Katie, who married her husband, Jordan, who's a racer video. himself. Wedding video from the track. At Let's the see it. Speedway last year, that's such a sweet picture. That Several is. other members of the Good family also contribute to the track's daily operation. So the family theme uh, continuing at some of these other tracks across the country. Tomorrow, we are off to Tennessee, a state where drivers like Darrell Waltrip and Sterling Marlin hone their skills before joining the ranks of the Cup Series. But coming up next, uh, the next generation of NASCAR is certainly here. What did Kevin Harvick say about Ryan Blaney's win that shows just how important these types of wins are for the sport? We'll tell you that next. I'm usually not very happy to see other people win, but I was happy to see Ryan win. It was really cool for him, and 
you know, just really cool to see him get to win. I know how excited he probably is right now. And, you know, it really makes um, the other young guys, me, Chase, Daniel, all feel like, um, you know, we do have a shot to go up and do it. So there, another young driver in Eric Jones congratulating DJ Ryan Blady on a big week this weekend, a big win this weekend. And we heard from Kevin Harvick earlier in the show who really did the same thing. He said that it was good for the sport to see these young drivers winning. Is this unusual to see everybody get on Ryan Blaney's bandwagon? Uh, maybe a little bit because drivers are very hesitant to give someone else credit. But I think what they all realize, as Kevin Harvick was pointing out and Eric Jones pointed to, alluded to there also, is that this is good for the sport. As we have new winners uh, come along with the sport, that just grows the enthusiasm of the sport. People want to start watching who's going to be the next one to, to break into that category. And they're seeing names now that, that are going to challenge Harvick and Johnson and, and Kenseth and all of these people that we see on a regular basis that are winning. So they understand that when these things happen, it's good for the sport. More money comes into the sport, and it's good for everyone involved. And it's going to make for some uh, very good racing uh, as we look forward uh, and look to the future of this sport. So uh, I think everyone's happy for a number of reasons. You throw in the Wood Brothers connection with that, then it, it certainly was a, a huge win for our sport and everyone involved. Yeah, and, and we've talked about it on this show. I think we're seeing the end of a cycle and the beginning of another cycle in this sport right now. And, and that's part of these young guys winning. I, Eric said it best when he said, it's good to see Ryan win because Daniel – and myself and Chase know now we can win. These guys are breaking in. So that gives those guys confidence. At the same time, and I'm, I'm going to say this, you'd like to see somebody get their first win. It's when they win like Dale Jarrett did and, and Jimmy Johnson, those guys, that you hate them when they start winning that many times. <laughs> but you'd like to see them get that first win. And that cycle, Kyle, the last time a cycle like this happened, who was at the forefront of it? Kevin Harvick, who, yeah. we, who we heard from earlier saying, again, that he feels like this is good for the sport. And I think... Few drivers can relate to this as well as him. He was part of that Young Guns movement of 2002 to 2003 where he had to step into a ride with enormous pressure and enormous expectations, an almost untenable situation when you think about who he had to follow in the footsteps of. And he won in his third yeah. race in what was formerly the number, number three ride of Dale Earnhardt. And I think that Kevin Harvick appreciates that, again, talking about what we said earlier, when Ryan Blaney can get a win like this, if when Chase Elliott gets yeah. his victory... It, it makes this narrative so much easier to embrace, a necessary narrative, as you said, that, you know, it's, it's about the changing of the guard, but it's a lot easier to tell that story when guys are winning. The cynic in me would say that it's also a bit of a convenient <laughs> narrative for a veteran driver who's still looking for his first win to push when maybe he doesn't want the attention focused on himself. I, I'm not saying that that is true, but is there something to maybe all of these other veteran drivers who are looking for I mean, wins saying, Hey, it's great that the young guys are winning. This is good for us. I'm just asking. And I'm just, if it, maybe if someone else had said it, Kevin Harvick wants the attention. He wants that attention of winning races and saying, I haven't won. He thrives on that pressure. I mean, we just heard Nate talk about when he came into the sport. He could not have come into the sport with more pressure, more eyes, more expectations. Oh, my God, he's getting in this 29 car. He's got to go out formerly the three car, and go out and run. So Kevin understands that part of it. But I think Kevin brings it up because Kevin is a student of the sport uh, where he knows that he's in that cycle. He knows he's at the end of that. And Kevin has helped a lot of drivers come into the sport too and a lot of team members come into the sport. So I think he looks at it a little bit different. He wants to see these guys succeed and wants to see the sport succeed because he has a vested interest in the sport. DJ? Yeah, trust me, it is difficult for a driver, especially if you just finished second, 
to sit there and throw all these accolades, even though it's a young driver that you have talked about, that, that you've said, this is someone you need to watch, said years ago, this is a driver we're going to be talking about because he's very, very talented. So you can say that, but Kevin Harvick went on and on. So that tells you that that's very genuine coming from him. Again, they know that it's good for the sport and what's going to happen. Their time's going to come. It's not like that they're uh, uh, being kicked to the side completely. They're going to win their share of races, and I speak of the veterans with Harvick and others that haven't won at this point. But they also understand, again, they're, they're kind of selfish like we are. What's good for the sport, even though it's difficult for them to say at times, we can be selfish here and say, as this happens, as we get ready to take over in a few weeks uh, the Cup Series for the last 20 weeks, this is outstanding for our coverage. So there's a lot to be uh, good about and good things to be said about uh, the up-and-coming drivers. And, Carolyn, well, I'll agree with Kyle and DJ that there probably is a genuine expression of admiration here. I, I also would just add that, I, as a non-driver, I'm with you. I think there could be an ulterior motive here of okay. perhaps oh, guys. Okay. God. All right, now Attention. you're pitting me with an ulterior motive. <laughs> I was just saying, hey, by the way, DJ mentioned our coverage. Tickets for the 2018 Daytona 500 went on sale today, so you can go to their website to get them. We'll see you tomorrow. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the bacon cheese slider, 1921 bacon cheese slider, or chicken bacon ranch slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 bacon bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave.